Hi and welcome to the I Believe Your Abuse podcast. I'm Brandy Fuller Anderson and here we talk all things narcissistic abuse. Focusing more on the impact of NPD on those in romantic relationships with a narcissist. And when I talk, I refer to the narcissist as a he. This is just because the narcissist in my life was a he and it helps me to tell my personal stories. But enter whatever pronoun feels right to you because narcissists can be both male and female. And if you have any questions about what I mean when I say narcissist, you can revisit episode one where I cover that more in detail. Today, I'm going to be covering a topic that has left so many questions in the minds of anyone who has endured or escaped an intimate, romantic relationship with a narcissist. If you search for clarity on this online, you will likely find only assumptions and inaccurate information. It is a topic that has likely diminished your self-esteem and left you desperate to find a way to deny the facts to yourself. Desperate for the chance to turn the clock back and pretend life wasn't moving forward. It has likely called all of your memories into question, created the sense you were going out of your mind, and left you searching for any explanation that would help you sleep at night, possibly made your skin crawl and left you nauseous, offered many sleepless nights, and for many, can pinpoint the exact moment that started the realization of the fake connection they shared with their narcissistic partner. In today's show, we shed some light on narcissistic sexuality. If the sexuality of your narcissistic partner has left you with any lingering questions that don't just seem to fit in with anything you thought to be true about your partner or your relationship, believe me, I have been exactly where you are. So many red flags became apparent one by one during my marriage to my narc husband. I was constantly searching for answers to why he was cheating on me or flirting with other women on social media, whether or not I was imagining his flirtations or indiscretions, why he was lying to his friends about everything in our relationship or about me, why he was always trying to turn me against any of of the people he knew or family members to ensure that we never became friends why sometimes he loved me and sometimes he hated me or why he constantly spit twisted forms of information back at me in confusing denials or explanations. There were so many behaviors that didn't make sense to me right from the beginning but with such cognitive dissonance or differences between the information being presented to me and the information I already believed to be true about my partner, it felt like all I could do was search for answers that would explain these anomalies to me. If you're anything like me, 
You were unprepared to handle that information that seemed to make little or no sense. I needed answers. I first projected onto my husband, assuming he was a neurotypical person. I tried to find explanations using that assumption, but nothing seemed to fit. Later, once I knew that things still didn't make sense, knew that I was not being treated the way I deserved, I was starting to wonder why I was still around, putting up with feeling unhappy. I needed justifications. I needed a way to understand it. I needed a reason to stay because my heart was already set on living this life of imagined fancy. I was also already aware of my displeasure with the him that he was becoming and I needed a way to change it and hope that that change was possible. I knew that if it could just make sense, maybe I could help him. Or at least, maybe I could feel better about why I was sticking around. When I first started to realize that the dynamics of my marriage made me very unhappy, it would have been so easy to just walk away from it and say, hey, this is all bullshit. Peace out, I'm headed to find someone who will treat me a whole lot better. It sounds easier to absolutely everyone on the outside, doesn't it? But by the time I realized things were abusive in my relationship, I had already been battling with these conflicting experiences for a very long time. I had already started to develop a trauma bond. Too many new confusing things happened along the way for me to stop and really delve into a single one and gain some understanding around it. And really, I was so exhausted with dealing with it. Less and less made sense about what I knew to be true. I considered my husband was maybe abused as a child. I thought maybe he was just remembering an incident he had suppressed and it was causing him so much distress and he didn't know how to handle it. He actually liked this excuse and he borrowed it. Years after, this was the first explanation I threw out there to justify what was going on. Whenever he would be pissing someone off or burning a bridge, he would claim that he was abused as a child and act like he had just retrieved this memory that had been suppressed for so many years. And someone would always believe it and offer him the attention and forgiveness he was seeking. His family would pity him, and his story was just believable enough. And none of them put together that he was using the excuse repeatedly, in a way that pretended they had never heard it before. He could use it to guilt his mother by making her feel as though she caused, or at least allowed, his childhood abuse, which would lead to her giving in to his selfish requests. He loved that this new story worked for him, and he planned to use it until it no longer elicited the responses he was seeking. And he wasn't even bright enough to think of it on his own. 
He waited for me to offer justifications for his behavior, and then he stole them from me. Hey, you're welcome, you manipulating piece of shit. In the beginning, I thought he was suffering from severe depression or bipolar disorder, and then even dissociative identity disorder, but nothing seemed to fit. I couldn't tell if he believed the gaslighting bullshit he tossed in my direction. Maybe he was schizophrenic. Maybe he was wounded and confused. Maybe he never met anyone who he could trust, who he could open up to, who he felt safe to confide in and would help him to heal. Have you told this lie to yourself? I was grasping at straws because there just didn't seem to be any sense to be made of the perplexing things that were happening in my relationship. Without any proof of either what was wrong, what was happening, or what would fix it, I had to justify each behavior the best I could. It felt as though the alternative would drive me insane. As though accepting what was really happening would be more painful than what I was going through. But this was a lie. A lie I told myself. And a sign that my boundaries were weak and my self-esteem was worn. And I could fit almost any of his disgusting behaviors into one of these many explainable categories. It didn't really occur to me that none of them seemed to fit into the same category. But it was enough to help me justify to myself why I was still there, trying to help this injured soul. Even though he was clearly not putting in the same effort as me when it came to seeking help. Because he already knew there was no help. He already knew exactly how this would eventually end. He already knew that even if there was help, he wasn't willing to put any effort into changing his ways. Each of these explanations I would ponder helped me to get through the next day and comforted me just enough so that I believed I was doing the right thing. I knew this man and he needed me to be there for him and help him through whatever was happening. But in all reality, I knew all along that this was not actually what was happening. I knew that I was brushing facts under the rug. That I was kidding myself and pretending what was happening was not happening. And this weighed heavily on my emotions, my sanity, my self-esteem, and was perhaps what was the most damaging aspect of my abuse and was abuse I was inflicting upon myself. But I made excuse after excuse, trying to grasp at the remnants of the dream I was promised with this relationship as those remnants quickly disappeared. And maybe each of you have that one thing, that one thing 
that finally was the straw that broke the camel's back. The one thing that you learned that you could never unlearn. That would forever change the way you saw your partner and your relationship and would haunt you from that moment forward. The one thing that changed your perspective and made you realize that the person you were trying to build a life with didn't exist and certainly wasn't the person you thought you knew. For me, this moment changed my entire life. This was the one moment that absolutely stopped me in my tracks, sunk my stomach to the floor, took the breath right out of me, and brought forth a feeling of anguish that I had never before and never after experienced. There are few words I could use to describe it, but I did my best to write some of the events and feelings down as they happened. And here I will start my explanation with a journal entry I made when this revelation first began haunting my very existence. When I started to realize how often my husband needed to secretly watch pornography or habitually flirt with women on social media or how he acted entitled to daily oral sex, I assumed he must have a sex addiction. This made sense to me since he had a very addictive personality and seemed to be addicted to alcohol and drugs, overspending and even adrenaline rushes. Many people hear the term sex addict and assume it to describe someone who likes to have sex or has sex frequently or has multiple sex partners which is not exactly an accurate depiction of how or why people develop sex addictions, or necessarily even how a sex addiction plays out. I once again tried to find explanations for any and all of his behaviors, considering maybe he was sexually abused in childhood, or maybe was just immature and needed to be taught more responsibility. Maybe he was spoiled. Maybe we were having problems in our sex life. Maybe. But this one day, this one event, added a new option to this list. Was my husband secretly gay? Until this very moment, I was actually still able to somewhat convince myself that I was happy in my marriage. I had few suspicions of my husband's intentions. I didn't cringe when he touched me. I didn't double check his stories. I didn't fear for my life. And I didn't fake a smile. Our love still felt real to me because the person I imagined him to be still felt real to me. But on this particular day, the pieces stopped fitting together. While searching my husband's inbox for an email 
one that he had requested me to search for. I came across something that I'm positive he believed to be deleted or not accessible. Out of nowhere, I was suddenly looking at the many, many Craigslist ads and responses. The filthy words, the dirty pictures. I couldn't make sense of what I was seeing. My head spinning, I looked closer and saw the category these messages were posted to. T for M, M for M. My husband was seeking encounters not only with other people outside of our marriage, but with other men. I couldn't move. I couldn't think. What the fuck was happening? My husband was cheating on me with men? My entire marriage had been a lie and I didn't know this person at all. Even with all of my reflection now, I can honestly tell you there was not one single sign that my husband would be sleeping with men. And guaranteed, if I tried to out him to those he associates with now, not a soul would believe it. Looking back now, I can see that this lie this one huge lie was what kept my husband stable in life and in our marriage. His ability to keep this secret hidden from everyone who knew him is what allowed him to live as though it didn't exist. Remember, keeping up their carefully crafted fake persona is important to them. The happy life we lived was part of the lie. He looked me in the eye and pretended to see and return my love for him, my adoration for him. But he never saw me as an actual person. When confronted, he would be confused as to why I was affected by what he did. He lacked any ability to put himself in my shoes, so he never tried. He was able to pretend that other part of his life did not exist. For how long? Maybe since day one? I felt sick. Who was this guy? By this point, we know how the narcissist thinks and how closely he guards his shaky self-esteem. He floated through life quite gleefully when he felt confident that this secret life was safe from the world. But once I didn't believe the stories he told, once he wasn't able to talk me into believing that I didn't know what I saw or didn't know what I thought I knew, then he could only look at me and feel shame. He constantly tried to convince me I didn't know what I was talking about or was flat out pretending that it never happened. But I would never again get the chance to experience the loving husband I thought I knew up until this moment. This one accidental slip of the so-called mask 
would break the facade for him. And from this point forward, he would look into my eyes and see that I knew the truth. My confusion and disgust would be mirrored right back to him, and he didn't like that reflection of himself. I was no longer an acceptable reflection of himself, which would cause him to start to look for a new mirror. He saw me and was forced to admit this reality to himself, even if just briefly, and he would have to punish me for being connected to the pain and the shame that he felt from here on out. I became the enemy, and so it began. Now, I was just left with questions. So many questions. Remember, at this time, I was still not sure of what the hell was going on with my husband and why there never seemed to be any available answers to the many, many questions. And when I started to coach other survivors, I heard so many questions about narc partners who constantly cheat, engage in reckless sexual activities with strangers, straight married narcissists hooking up with People of the same sex, people of opposite sexes, other married people, other single people, young people, old people, didn't seem to be one type. Having secret fetishes that they act on, being caught on different porn sites or in different sex chat rooms or at different sex clubs. Partners of narcissists will question themselves and their situation, wondering what they're doing wrong, why they aren't satisfying their mate how they could have missed their spouse being gay or whether or not their partners are sex addicts and so on. But here's what I know now. If you're looking for clear-cut answers to help you put a label on your narc partner's sexual identity, you will be left with no relatable answers. Once again, you're trying to find justification for your partner's behavior based on what you know to be real and true. For you. But a person with NPD has no core identity. They're empty inside. They have no idea what they want or what they need. Because this changes with every waking moment with their sole focus remaining on maintaining their self-esteem, which is regulated by the outside world. They live in a world all alone, essentially not even a whole, real person, constantly pretending and altering what they like, who they like, what they want, and how they see themselves. They aren't blind, they see the rest of us in the world, but they don't see us as realistic, whole people, and rather just as objects placed here for them to use as needed or ignore when not needed. Without any core identity, how can they have a sexual identity? They do not process things any differently in their sex life than they do in every other area of their lives. Everything about them and what they claim is falsified to fit whatever story they need it to, which just means that the partners they show the world need to fit into their persona. 
But the objects they use for instant gratification are just that. Objects. And they will use any one that is accessible to them. The less emotional connection needed, the better. As it's just less they need to pretend about when they're just trying to receive instant gratification. Because they lack empathy, they don't see themselves in relation to other people. They don't see those they are surrounding themselves with as being other human beings with their own set of feelings and experiences. When they encounter another person, they quickly assess for any usefulness and proceed accordingly. They don't ever consider your feelings or what you want. They can't even imagine what that would be like as that would take empathy. Every person they come in contact with is just an object to be used or discarded depending on the narcissist's desires in that moment. Every person is interchangeable as long as they have something to offer. So there's no sentimentality behind their choices. This is why they may appear to have no real type. Their relationships are shallow, so they're not forming a mutual connection. And they don't think outside of the here and now, so they aren't planning a future with anyone other than to share a fantasy with them. This lack of specialness in other people and inability to see people as more than mere objects with opinions, worthiness, and emotions is why the narc has no real preference when it comes to a partner. They're interested in one thing and one thing only, which is immediate gratification of their wants. If you can offer it, great. If the lady next door can offer it, fantastic. If the guy on Craigslist can offer it, super. One object is as good as another. It is never about attraction or mutual connection, so it's not a preference in sexuality. This doesn't exist for the narcissist. True, higher functioning narcissists may have a preference as to which partner they show off publicly, as they remain interested in impressing those that they hold high in status and are always considering their public persona. But this is a calculated facade and not part of any real identity. Everything you see with a narcissist is fake, a lie. It is a lie that even they believe and it can change as often as necessary to suit their attempts at ego preservation. They are void of identity and any outward sexuality is simply the character they're playing in the moment. I think for the most part, people with NPD will sleep with absolutely anyone. Sex brings them pleasure, and they're impulsive pleasure seekers. Sex may help them to feel in control, which is a nice change because they usually spend so much of their time feeling out of control, constantly shifting their thoughts to help level that out. It may allow them to feel desired, which confirms for them the stories they tell themselves about how great they are. And it also helps them to trap potential victims with the lie of intimacy. Depending on where your narcissist finds his validation, 
He may be incredibly lousy in bed because it isn't about you at all. It is about what pleasure he can seek in any moment. Or he may be very good in bed because knowing he's pleasing you is what affirms for him that he is the best at whatever he does. Or you may not really know because of that lie of intimacy and because of the way you lied to yourself into feeling a connection that didn't actually exist and imagining it was amazing and unforgettable, even if it wasn't. Narcissists are aware of the lack of connection that they develop with partners, and they have learned that partners tend to mistake sex for connection, so they use it as a tool to aid in their game. They're willing to do this because why not? It's enjoyable for them, it's never about you. How many victims of narcissistic abuse say that they stay because of the sex? But I have to wonder, if those people really stopped to think about what they were getting out of sex, if they thought about how many of their needs were being met or even considered, how much they had a say about when and even if they had sex, and how much of a connection of intimacy was felt, or whether or not they felt like equal participants. Would they still consider it fabulous, life-altering sex? I have to assume that most survivors were seeking something longer term than a brief, meaningless fling. Otherwise, why would they have stuck around long enough to put up with the bad behavior as well? They are fooled by this lie because of their projection onto the narcissist. They assume the act of sex relates to an intimate encounter, that it is a sign of two people becoming closer, developing a bond, solidifying their closeness and fidelity. But narcissists are opportunists, so they accept pleasure or any other type of gain each time it happens to present itself. It isn't special. Many partners of narcissists notice that they don't have a say about when and if they have sex. Although narcissists will often demand sex whenever they want it, they will many times deny their partners when their partner is the one to initiate it. It isn't about you. This is also another abusive act for victims who learn that their needs are not the needs that matter and that they have no control in this dynamic and that they can be punished at any time the narc feels the need to withhold any pleasure from them. My husband frequently turned me down for sex, although if I was not initiating it or complaining that we were not sleeping together, he would blame me for not being the one to initiate it, complain about having to always be the one to initiate it. But when I did, he often told me he wasn't in the mood or he was too tired, and if he was in his bad place, that he was no longer attracted to me. This was one more way he showed me just how little he cared for me or connected with me, and I ignored it. It was one more thing that made me feel like I was lacking, 
not good enough, unwanted. The tables turned when my husband wanted sex, however. If I dared to tell him no, he never took it seriously, and he continued with sex anyway until I gave in. There was no telling him no. I would often awake in the night with him already in the process of having sex with me. I think now that he likely preferred times when he did not have to pretend to connect with me or deal with me and wanted to use me for what he intended to every time as an object to be used for his pleasure. Any idea of intimacy involved in our sex life is something I created in my own fantasy and my own projections. It didn't really exist. I did not initiate because I knew that I didn't actually have a say. And he took it when he wanted, whether I objected or not. And this is abuse. You will hear many partners of narcissists describe what I call the narcissistic stare. Now, I've since seen this term thrown around with slightly altered explanations, but when I talk about the narcissistic stare, I talk about that look in your narc partner's eyes during moments of intimacy. I remember when I first started dating my narc husband, that during sexual encounters, he would stare directly into my eyes. I remember feeling as though he must be really into me. He must be staring at me in wonder about how amazing I am and just basking in how happy he is to be with me. But this was all projection on my part. I don't know if it was just the fact that my prior boyfriend had really disconnected with me during sex and would not even look me in the eye and maybe I really felt this as a sign of connection. But I do remember thinking at times that it was a bit awkward. Like he was staring so long it became uncomfortable and I would have to break that eye contact by looking away. It was a little creepy. If I had paid closer attention, rather than projecting onto him, I likely would have noticed that those eyes were blank and that cold stare wasn't gazing into my eyes. It was looking right through them, like I wasn't even there. There were times when he may have been trying to feign an intimate connection with me, and just awkward in presentation as things tend to be when you're faking them. He may have been trying to study my emotions so he could mirror them back to me since he was not really feeling the same connection with me, but he knew he needed to fool me into thinking he was. Or maybe he wasn't seeing me at all. He was looking right through me and likely trying to pretend I wasn't even there because really in that moment, any other part of me besides the part he was using was just in the way. People are nothing more than objects to narcissists and their sexual partners are nothing more than faceless, masturbatory objects for them to use to satisfy their urges. Since people are all faceless objects and there's no sentimentality behind their hookups, it's reasonable to assume they have no preference between one object and another. 
either will get the job done and serve its purpose. This is why you are likely to find a narc partner sleeping with anyone who is willing to lay down with them. And even more so if they're able to find a partner who does not require any connection or lying on their part. Less work for them. Which is why they tend to frequent sex clubs and websites. Dirty fuck me hookup sites. Craigslist ads. And even why they're likely cheating with women, men, men dressed like women, married men and women, and basically anyone who they're able to get what they want from. It is not a specific expression of sexuality. It is a narc doing what narcs do, and taking what they want, when they want it, and serving their own self-interests. And since they're unable to empathize with a partner's feelings or even understand why infidelity would make a partner angry, they see no issues with satisfying these urges whenever the situation presents itself. Even if the situation only presented itself because they spent several weeks trolling social media winking at potential partners. And here's the thing. There is nothing you can do to improve this dynamic of your relationship. There is nothing you can do sexually, nothing you can do emotionally, and absolutely nothing else you can give of yourself that will create that emotional connection with your partner. They are not capable of it. Nothing that will satisfy your partner in a way that will prevent them from seeking pleasure elsewhere. Nothing. You will not get much from a sexual relationship with a narcissist, but one of the more common things is an STD. Your narc doesn't contemplate repercussions in the future, so protection is usually far from their worries, and they certainly don't worry about bringing diseases home to you. Many spouses of narcissists don't realize their partners are cheating until they find out they're diagnosed with herpes or HIV or any other number of diseases. Narcissists do not care. And sacrificing your medical health on top of your emotional health is far too much to pay for a relationship in which you're not receiving such sacrifice in return. If you were in a relationship with a narcissist, you're being abused. And you deserve to be free. And you're worth saving. There are better things out there for you. And part of your healing process is to fight against the lies you have been told that tell you otherwise. Keep educating yourself on NPD. Keep learning how to develop strong and healthy boundaries. Keep discovering who you are, who you want to be and where you want to go, and keep telling your story. There is a light at the end of this very dark tunnel. As always, you can find more support on Facebook or Instagram at I Believe Your Abuse. You can find support including resources for meetings, support groups, and professionals who specialize in narcissistic abuse if you visit IBelieveYourAbuse.com. 
And if you don't see a group in your area, feel free to start one. Remember that support of each other is important, as we're sometimes the only validation a victim is getting, and we may be the only pathway that helps a victim find their way out of this treacherous maze. Just a reminder that spreading awareness is part of what we as survivors give back to this community. We help spread awareness, warn potential victims by empowering them with information that could save their lives, and we listen when stories are told. Stop by the shop on IBelieveYourAbuse.com and check out some of the shirts and window decals with facts and terminology about narcissistic abuse on there. And make a purchase because proceeds go directly to help victims in need. And know that just putting those terms and facts out into the world help to inform others who might not normally be exposed to them, which could eventually save them from a narcissist grip, or may help them to show sensitivity towards another survivor telling their story. It is a great way to get this information out into the world, and everything we do to increase awareness of this abuse also increases the amount of validation we receive when we tell our stories. And this is crucial to anyone healing from this insidious mistreatment. You can also send in comments, requests for a specific topic to be addressed on the show, or share your survivor stories. Just send an email to ibelieveyourabuse at gmail.com. And guys, be sure to follow the podcast to have episodes automatically added for you to listen to as they come out, and so you never miss a bonus episode. And if you have friends or family who are struggling with narcissistic abuse, or who are willing to learn about and understand your experience, share the show with them too. Spreading awareness and understanding is important. Leaving a review for this show also helps it to show up in search results, which gets the information out there for anyone who needs it. And if you go on and leave a written review, you can contact the website and let them know that you've left a written review and you'll be sent a narcissistic abuse awareness window decal for free. So be sure to go online. We're making the world a better place, one story at a time. Until next time, own your truth. Never stop telling your story. I believe you.